Hello, and welcome to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. My goal is to help you become exactly who you want to be. We're here to help you take your biggest, boldest, most beautiful vision for life and turn that vision into reality. Get ready to attract the love that you've always wanted, cultivate your grandest vision for your next level life, tap into abundance, wealth, and develop a deep understanding of your highest self and how to bring that vision of you to life. One of the things that gives me the most joy, that lights me up the most, is learning about your specific experiences and listening to your specific questions. The way that my process is, is like, if someone asks me something, I don't have an immediate general response that I think is like a piece of advice that will solve it. When someone asks me a question, I've got to ask more questions. I've got to learn about your experience so that I can feel your experience in my bones. And when I feel it that way, then I'm able to share a response that I think will be meaningful or useful. Because I really want the things that I share to be meaningful and useful to you, to speak to your felt experience. Like, I want you to know in your bones that I know this thing in my bones. So, what we're doing in this episode is I'm answering your relationship questions. We put out a story on Instagram asking you to share some of your most pressing relationship questions. And I chose the ones that inspired me and that I have experience with asking people about. Because of course, on this podcast episode, these are going to be general responses. But these were the questions that I've spent a lot of time working with clients through asking people about. So I know these responses in my bones. And I hope that that comes through in this episode. I think you're going to really enjoy this. And I am so excited to diving even deeper into your experience and getting to know you even more. Okay, so let's dive right into the first one. How to handle rejection from someone that you cared about. Well, let's start with the common advice for this sort of thing. What I notice a lot of people saying in response to this is, don't take it personally. It's not about you. It's about them hoping that that makes you feel better. But it doesn't matter if it's personal or not. What matters is what happens when you perceive that you are being rejected. Because even if they are rejecting you or not, it's, it doesn't matter. The thing that's happening is that you are perceiving that you're being rejected. And this right now is an opportunity for you to learn about what happens in your mind and in your body when you perceive that you are rejected. What's happening here is that it's an opportunity for you to learn about your relationship with the concept of rejection. So a series of events happens in a relationship. Maybe there's a breakup. Maybe the person pulls away. The meaning that you make of that is that you're being rejected. And maybe you are being rejected. So the meaning that you make of that is that you're being rejected. It's like, it's like that file gets pulled from the file cabinets of your subconscious. 
but it's not just objective, neutral information. You have a relationship with that file. And when that file gets pulled, you then have an opportunity in your conscious experience to learn about what your relationship is with that particular concept. And the best part about it is that when you're not conscious of your relationship with that concept, you're still having whatever that experience is. It's just in your subconscious and you're not aware of it. So it's in your body and in your nervous system. So when something happens that you can call you being rejected, you then have an opportunity to take a look at the relationship. So what's happening in your mind? What's happening with your body? What thoughts are happening? What predictions about the future are happening? What interpretations of the past are happening? What's the narrative? Is this an indication that you'll be alone forever? And then more importantly, what is happening in your body? What is the experience internally? How would you describe the feelings that are happening? And what we want to do is to be curious about all of this. The thing that I'm really curious about is what are you thinking that this experience means for your future? Does this have some kind of connection with what you're seeing as a highly likely outcome or a highly likely thing that's going to happen in the future? Does this mean that you're going to be alone and lonely forever? Now, when this happens, I think a really, really, there's a, there's a really valuable experience in here or a valuable opportunity in here for you to take a look at what things about you are you criticizing as part of this experience of being rejected? Is it something about the way that you move or the way that you look or a certain thing about your lifestyle or money? Now, a lot of the times when we're criticizing ourselves, we're running through narratives and prescriptions of things that if we change this about us, then that's when we'll get access to love, safety, and belonging. But sometimes when you're being rejected and you're, you're, in, you're in a space where you get to learn about your relationship with rejection, there will be some wisdom that comes up. Maybe the thing that comes up is a thing that you want to change about yourself. And maybe the meaning that you're making of this whole thing is that this person rejected you because of that thing, but it actually is a thing that you want to change about yourself. Now, if you find something like that, that's really beautiful. That's a gem. We want that. That's what makes life worthwhile and fulfilling is to find things that you want to transform and then invest your energy into transforming them, getting to be an artist, creating new outcomes engaging in new processes. Because what happens for a lot of people is that they have a desire for something to change, but they are afraid of changing things about who they are and what they do because it's unknown and it's scary. And in order to actualize that desire, it's going to mean that this person is going to have to change, but because they're afraid of changing, they suppress the desire. And so maybe you do want to change something about yourself and this experience of rejection is activating that thing you want to change about yourself, but you're also in a space where you're afraid to make the changes that you want to make. And so it feels impossible. And that's when that advice of, oh, it's not personal, it's about them, it's not you comes in. It's like, 
a drug that's trying to numb the pain of wanting to change something while being afraid to change it. To me, the ultimate medicine is to become exactly who you want to be, like fully committing to spending the rest of your life doing challenging things, creating the version of you that you want to be, having the most beautiful, extraordinary experience of life. When you know that that is what you are going to spend your life doing, at least this is my experience and what I hear from people all the time, you actually collect these experiences of pain or trauma or rejection as fuel. You know that this thing is going to contribute to something even more beautiful. And and that can sound sadistic, but it's not sadistic. It's actually this very loving relationship with difficult things. Whereas if you don't trust that you are going to spend your energy fully bringing your desires to life, well, then it makes sense to be hurt by an experience of rejection because you're projecting a future where you continue to repress your desires and remain small. I really like to operate with this model of vulnerable invulnerability. So you are a human, you will die, you will get hurt, you will get rejected. You have very human experiences. That's the finite part of you. There's also a part of you who's infinite, who has never been hurt and who never will be hurt. The version of life that I really love living is being both the finite and the infinite at once. So I'm putting myself in positions where I can be hurt and I allow myself to be hurt when I am hurt. And I'm also the infinite part of me who's relating to the version of me who's being hurt with an abundant supply of love, curiosity, and warmth. Living life when being both of those things at once and fully stepping off the ledge, fully sending it, fully pursuing your desires, it just really seems to be the thing that makes it so that getting rejected doesn't actually hurt that much. Like it hurts, you're a human, but it's no longer this indication of what's going to come for the rest of your life. So. I really do not like the advice of, oh, it's not about you. It's about them. Like those kinds of things, they seem like very much just like trying to numb you from some deeper pain. What seems to actually set you up to be able to lean into these experiences and and feel the pain of them, feel the pain of the rejection, embrace the pain, love the pain, and not again, not like a sadistic, weird way, but a loving, curious, warm thing, bringing it in, welcoming it in. You feel the pain and you also understand that this painful experiences is what makes you beautiful and is going to contribute to beautiful things for billions and trillions of moments for the rest of your life. Okay, next question. Regret in a breakup. Okay, so I can think of examples with clients where a person, like let's say two people have dated for a long time. And then they both start to grow. They start to intentionally invest in their growth. And they want, it seems pretty clear that parting ways and not being in a relationship is the right thing. And then one person who I have intimate access to because they're my client, like starts to like really get the ball rolling, like really becoming who they want to be, really investing in their sleep, not drinking anymore, not doing drugs anymore, like fully committing to their business, like spending time with friends, not endlessly desperate on apps, like trying to find someone to have sex with, 
they're like building all this momentum. It's feeling really, really good. And then one thing happens that's stressful. And then they slip back into this place of thinking that the thing that's going to solve everything is being back with this person. And they get into this space of like, oh man, I, it was me the whole time. I, if I had just done this, 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 and this. Okay, here's the thing that is so important to understand in those situations where you're regretting. It may be the case that both of you, it probably is the case that both of you need time to grow. And maybe you two end up together. Maybe you spend the rest of your lives together. Maybe you spend 20 years not together and then you end up being back together and you spend the rest of your lives together. It doesn't matter because the task is still the same. Whether you're together or whether you're not together, the task for each of you is still the same, which is to commit to becoming exactly who you want to be. And now here's the thing to really consider. Let's say at the time that like you broke up for a reason, you guys broke up. So if you at the time of your relationship were, I don't know, doing regrettable things, not showing up in the way that you wanted to show up, all that. Sometimes you get in that place where you're like, man, they're amazing. Like, it was really me who did all this hard stuff. Like, that's what happens when people slip up from becoming who they want to be, which is totally understandable. But they get into that like self-shame, self-blame place. Like, oh, if I had just done things differently, that's when the regret starts. But that person at the time, okay, so you weren't the person that you wanted to be. You were doing regret of things that you might regret. The person that you're talking about being with, who you were in a relationship with, was a person who was investing time and energy into a person who was doing regrettable things. And it's a really important thing to understand that as you really commit to becoming who you want to become, you really don't tolerate people who are super inconsistent with their commitment to becoming who they want to become. And so if you were in a relationship with a person who was investing in you when you were doing regrettable things, well, that lets me know that they were a person who still may need some time or still may need a fuller commitment to becoming who they want to become. At the time of the relationship, they weren't yet the person that you in that state of regret are thinking that they might have been. And it's easy to romanticize it and to think that they're perfect, but they were a person who was committing to a person who was doing regrettable things. I mean, those regrettable things could be cheating, or they could be a little bit smaller, like consistently not being present. Either way, when you commit to becoming who you want to be fully, you will be in a relationship with a person who doesn't tolerate a person who is not fully committed to being who they want to be. And the fact that this former relationship was a person who was trying to make it work with a person who hadn't yet fully committed to that, it just lets us know that that person has some more space to grow and that it's wise to not romanticize where they are and who they are and their growth. They probably need this time and space of the breakup to be able to learn how to more fully commit to becoming who they want to become. And again, Maybe you both go on that, you engage in that process, you both commit to that thing. Five years from now, six months from now, you end up back together, beautiful, or you both end up with other people who are incredible and make you both happy and fulfilled. That's beautiful too. It doesn't matter because either way, again, 
the tasks are the same for both of you, which is to commit to becoming exactly who you want to be. Next question is how to know if you're settling. It may be as simple as if you're asking that question, then you're probably settling. Settling is not necessarily wrong. I never say the word healthy. I never say healthy relationship. I would never say that settling is unhealthy and that not settling is healthy. And that's what you should do. I would never say that. What I would ask is, what are the things, what are the pieces of evidence? What are the things that are happening that are at least making you question, am I settling? What are those things? And how do you feel in response to those things? Do you feel small? Do you feel sad? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel anxious? What are the things that you feel in response to the patterns that are letting you know you might be settling? And the question to ask yourself is, do I want to experience those things in a relationship? If a person were to come to me and say, Flynn, I want a relationship that's full of sadness and loneliness and anxiety, then I would say, okay, as long as we're not hurting another person, then that's exactly what we're going to create. We're going to create the saddest, loneliest, most anxious relationship possible. Because I'm not interested in seeing your inner experiences hierarchically, meaning I don't see joy and love and warmth and kindness and curiosity as absolutely better than sadness and anxiety. It's my opinion that love and warmth and joy are better than anxiety. But I don't think that that speaks to any kind of absolute truth. So if a person wants sadness, then a person wants sadness. However, I've never met a single person who wants a relationship that's full of sadness. I've only met people and engaged with people who want zest, love, joy, passion, all those things. So the thing to be asking yourself is, because settling is an interpretation. And sometimes when your awareness is on the level of interpretation, it makes it harder to see what's actually happening. The thing that we want to actually pay attention to are your patterns of energy and your patterns of internal experience. And then ask yourself, do you like your patterns of energy? Do you like your patterns of internal experience? If you like them and those align with the relationship that you want to have, and you might be able to interpret that as settling, then amazing. We are going to invest our energy in making that the best version of settling that it could possibly be. But if that's not what you want to experience, then what we get to do is get clear on what you would prefer to be experiencing, what your ideal version of a relationship looks like, what it feels like, what the vibe is like, how it feels moment to moment, day to day, what the consistent patterns are. And then we ask ourselves how to create that. And you may not have done that yet. You may actually be in a, a relationship with a person who has a high capacity for co-creation. And maybe they're waiting for you to step up and for you to come to them and say, hey, I'm ready to co-create the most beautiful experience ever. I realize that I've been bringing all this stuff X, Y, and Z to our relationship and inhibiting our access to the things that we really want. I really apologize for what I have been doing. I am, and I, and I understand the experience I have been creating. I'm really ready to create a new experience and work together to get clear on our vision for our ideal relationship and, and what we want our relationship to feel like consistently. 
And I'm ready to do things differently, change things about myself, make tiny little tweaks so that I'm able to show up differently to this. And I want to support you as you make those tweaks as well so that we can both co-create the most beautiful thing ever. Maybe your person is waiting for you to come to them and say that. So that's one version of it. Another version is that it's fair to interpret that you are settling. Now, the way to know that is if you're noticing patterns of internal experiences in your relationship. And you go to your partner and you say, hey, these are my patterns. I don't like them. I want them to be this way. I fully understand that I am at least partly responsible for that. I am not making you responsible for my feelings. However, I'm really excited about the idea of co-creating an experience together. I'm really excited about us being clear on who we want to be and, and the zest and the joy that we want to fill our lives with or the peace that we want to fill our lives with. And I want us to help each other and support each other into each becoming the person that's able to feel those ways consistently. And I want our relationship to be something where those feelings are present really consistently. Let's say you approach that person, they might be like, okay, I've never even thought of that. That sounds amazing. Like, can you help me? Well, then amazing. You've got someone who at least is willing. And then you want to explore their vision. You want to understand what their ideal life is, who they want to be what their ideal version of a relationship is. You want to be curious. You get to explore this person's imagination and their vision, which is the most beautiful thing ever because that's what art is, is taking a vision and turning it into reality. And this is a person who may never have had an opportunity to, to speak about those things before. So you just asking these questions is a beautiful gift for them. And, you know, like maybe you're finding a, a lot of alignment as you're asking these questions. Maybe you're like, oh my God, I've never explored this person's inner world like this. But now when I am like, there's so much alignment. There's so much that we want to be the same. Now we get to work on building these things together or not, or their vision doesn't inspire you and the life that they're living, they are happy with, or they're like engaging in victim me things and they're not willing to see it that way, and they're not willing to take ownership of their experience, well, then if that's happening, that's a, an indication that the patterns of the feelings that you've been feeling will likely continue. And you could interpret that as settling. And if that's the case, well, you have a choice to make. You could accept that that's who they are and stop investing energy into wanting things different. You've made your choice. You're going to have these patterns of feelings and internal experience. You've already put the work in to try to change it. So you've put that effort and that energy into trying to change things. And the evidence that you've been given is that things aren't likely to change. So you've already tried to change it. So the third option is to leave the relationship if what you really want are certain patterns of feelings. But that's what all of this is about. It's about an awareness of your internal experience, awareness of the patterns of feelings. You are the one who has the most influence over your internal experience. The words that you say, the way that you think, the way that you examine your body, the way that you are curious about the world around you, you have an opportunity to take all of this shame and judgment and fear that you've been conditioned to experience and transform it into something more, let's call it beautiful, more loving. Again, not because love is better, but because it's your opinion that love is better. And it does seem to be true that experiencing more love contributes to things like longevity and quality of life, whereas patterns of fear contribute to death and disease. So you get to do that if you want to. And the relationship that you're in is going to be one of the most influential things to your access to those internal experiences. But you are the one 
who's making the choices about what you're investing your attention and energy into. And so if there's a pattern of sadness or anxiety in a relationship, it's not that other person's fault. They are who they are. If you try to change things and you you try to explore your their vision and all of that and things aren't changing, well, at the end of the day, you are choosing sadness and anxiety. And the beautiful thing that you get to do if that's the case is say, okay, well, what am I getting from that? Maybe that's kind of my kink. Maybe there's something about it. If you've ever read the book, Existential Kink, I haven't, but a client telling me about it recently, and it aligns so well with how I see the world. The assumption is like, if you have a pattern of anxiety or sadness or depression or fear, whatever, there's a part of you who wants to be having that experience, who's getting something from that experience. Most people hear that and they say, oh my God, I'm like, I'm not doing this for attention. I would never want this. But like, if there's a pattern of it, subconsciously, there is a part of you who wants this thing. The people who are able to transform are the people who are able to look at themselves and say, okay, what am I getting from this? They bring warmth and curiosity to the thing. They're not trying to shove the thing away with judgment and criticism or shame. They make a choice to be curious about the thing. So that said, if you are experiencing patterns of anxiety, it's time to take responsibility and say, okay, maybe there's something that, I, that I'm getting from this and get curious about that. What might that be? Take a super loving and compassionate and curious approach to learning about it. That will set you up to be able to make different choices about how you want to live your life. We have super exciting news. If you submit a review or a testimonial of this podcast, you will be entered into a pool and we will randomly pick one person to win two 30-minute sessions with me, which is about a $1,500 value. Now to frame this, it can be really easy to get caught up in the weeds of this work. We are super invested into actually creating results for people, to creating excellent, extraordinary, world-class experiences for people at any level of our business. If you're a podcast listener, if you're part of our membership, if you're a client, we want you to have an extraordinary experience. We want you to know that you belong here and that you contribute to the whole and we really want you to benefit from the whole. Not only is your review grounding and energizing and motivating for us, it's also helpful for other people who might be kind of like you, who might also benefit from engaging with my content or listening to this podcast. So if you enter a review, you'll be entered into a pool where one random person will be selected and given two 30-minute sessions with me where we'll be exploring who you want to be and what your current obstacles are. And you'll be coming away from this experience with clarity on how to dissolve those obstacles and step into your expansiveness in a bolder way. So please leave a review. It is helpful for us in many, many ways. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you. As I'm speaking about this, I'm thinking about a client who just recently, a few months ago, we stopped working together. And this person just recently texted me and let me know that they ended their engagement with the person. And not to say that that's, a, that's like an indication of my success with work with people, but that does happen frequently. It's so scary to be in a relationship and know that it's not the right thing and know that if you continue to commit this relationship, you're going to be committing 
to and choosing the small version of yourself for the rest of your life. But when people find that space where they give themselves permission to breathe and to take up space and to be big and to pursue joy and to pursue their desire, it is so fucking amazing. It is the most beautiful thing in the world. I'm just so happy for people who are able to make those brave choices because I've experienced that so deeply myself, so deeply. I think we all have. Um, But again, it comes back to choosing to become the version of you that you want to be, fully committing to stepping off the ledge, fully going for it. That's the thing that creates the safety that you're looking for. When people are investing their attention and their energy into playing it small in their relationships, they're generally doing it hoping that that will keep them safe. Maybe they're, I don't know. It's something for you to reflect on. Like if you are settling, what are you getting as a result of settling? What does that indicate about your current version of safety? That version of safety has worked. You are alive. You're listening to this podcast. So you at least have enough energy to be curious about investing into your development. That version of safety has worked, but are there better versions of safety available? My guess is that yes, there are. And the better version of safety is fully going for it, fully committing to becoming the person that you want to be. Help with letting go of control or thinking you can change someone. This is one of my favorite questions because I love the idea of people changing each other in a relationship. And I know that the common advice is to not want to change a person. You're just supposed to love and accept them as they are. But think about like this, like if you're trapped with someone and they're, they're doing something that is really annoying and for some reason you're not able to leave that trapped space, like you're locked in there and they're doing this thing that's annoying and you try and communicate with them about changing it and they don't change it, like you're going to feel desperate and urgent and anxious and panicked. It may be so overwhelming that you become depressed. What our nervous systems do when we are experiencing some kind of challenge, an annoying way of calling it is noxious stimuli. For experiencing some kind of noxious stimuli, which is like something in the environment that's hurting us or going to harm us, or that's hindering our access to nourishment or love, safety, and belonging. When we don't feel empowered to change that thing, we go into fight or flight mode. And if we don't feel like fight or flight, yelling, forcing someone to change stuff, arguing, if we don't feel like fight or flight is going to change it, then our bodies go into shutdown mode. We are problem solving creatures. And change is some of the most beautiful thing, one of the most beautiful things that we can do in our lifetime. The question to ask is, Are you forcing a person to change into who you think you need them to be? Or are you supporting them into becoming exactly who they want to be? What most people do, so you've got, you are repressing your desire because of fear of the changes required for you to fully pursue becoming who you want to be, being your most expansive self, your brightest light making all the money that you want to, living the exact life with all the experiences that you want, you repress the desire, it becomes easier to focus on trying to change someone else, hoping 
that if you can change this other person into who you think you need them to be, then they will become a person who's going to save you from that experience and make everything better. I used to do that all the time, playing it small, investing, being in a relationship where I had to contain myself and play it small. I knew I wasn't going to be able to live the life I wanted in this relationship. So what did I do? I invested a whole lot of energy into nitpicking and trying to change things about all this other person. I had this idea in mind of who I wanted them to become. And I wanted them to become a person who was going to save me from my smallness and give me permission, or at least um, not, not so much permission, but more like support me, help me, save me, help me become the expansive version of myself. I think that we invest energy into trying to change other people when we are afraid that we won't get to live the extraordinary, beautiful, magnificent life that we want to live. Now, one version of a relationship that is, I think, the best is both people are pretty clear on who they want to be. And they speak about these things. They ask themselves and each other, what do you want? What do you like? What's your ideal version? What's your vision of this thing? What's your grandest vision of this thing? What's the most beautiful, amazing version of this thing? They do that with each other for like the 20-year vision, a 500-year vision. They do that in the evening when they're speaking about the next morning. They do it in the micro moments. They do it in the meso moments. They do it in the macro moments. And then they take a look at each other and see, is this person able to do what they say? Is this person able to bring their vision to life? Are they able to take the actions and to do the uncomfortable things to become the person they say they want to be? Now, if you're investing your energy into a person whose vision inspires you, you're like, yes, I love that. That I love who you want to become. I love what you want to do. I love how you want to spend your life. That totally aligns with my vision. Like, this is amazing. I'm so excited for this. That's a great place to start then what you get to do is evaluate whether or not this person is actually able to become who they want to become. And if you are evaluating someone else, you better be taking the responsibility to make sure that you are committing to becoming who you want to become and and bringing the vision to life that you have. So it requires a commitment from both people to be bringing their vision to life. Then the relationship gets to be this thing where what it really is, is this tool, this energy supply for change. The relationship acts as this accountability tool and an energy resource for both people to become who they want to be. And as each person engages in that never-ending process, because none of us, I don't think, will ever arrive, at least it doesn't seem likely, as both people fully commit to that process, both people become better versions of themselves and the relationship becomes exponentially better. There's a whole lot of change involved in that process. Like everything is change in that process. But it's about this change is about consent. This change is about this person has said this is who they want to be. This is who they want to do. These are things they need to do in order to become the person they want to be. So the relationship is supporting them making those changes. Now, maybe you have that conversation and the person's vision doesn't inspire you and you are afraid of leaving the relationship. You're afraid of changing direction in your life. You're attached to this one direction, this one thing. You might then want to force that person to want to be who you want them to be. That 
not only is that not going to work, I would consider that a form. <laughs> I haven't really thought this out, but I would consider that a form of violence, trying to force a person to become a person that they have not yet said they want to be. If a person says they want to be something, I mean, I am an intense person, then I go all in. Uh, and, and I'm investing in that vision that they have. And I'm also investing in who they are right now, loving them fully as they are now, loving their process of blooming. But part of that, a huge part of that is who they say they want to be. But if, if you're not in love with the, with the person that this other person says they want to be, and if you're not, in, if, if you're not uh, mystified by the life that they say they want to live, then like, honestly, I would stop there and pivot and commit to investing your attention and energy into people, places, environments where your visions inspire each other where there's a lot of overlap and harmony, where it seems like your visions can come together and create something that's greater than one plus one equals two, maybe even one plus one equals eight. Okay, last question. How to help an avoidant become more vulnerable and emotionally expressive? Does an anxious avoidant ever get better? <laughs> so this is actually very similar to the last question. The first thing that I would ask is this person who's got avoidant tendencies, have they communicated a desire to change things? Now, little trick here. What I notice in I've noticed this in myself and I notice this in a lot of avoidant people. I think avoidant people have a tendency to enjoy the experience of speaking about how wounded they are and how much they recognize their avoidance and how much it hurts them and they don't want to hurt you and they don't want to hurt other people. And they're kind of getting something from that. It's a little bit of like a kink experience. And I wouldn't say that they're like consciously devising that plan. Like I don't think they're being evil. But I do think that with people who have avoidant tendencies, there's a lot of that that happens. Like, I know I'm understanding I'm so wounded. They like want their wounded narrative to draw you in even more so that you become invested in healing them. Because the more invested you are in healing them, then maybe the more permission or the more leeway they have to continue being avoidant. What I really think is happening with avoidant tendencies a lot of the time, like when it's super hurtful and harmful for both people, is when the avoidant person wants the other person to be showing up with as if the avoidant person were fully committed. So the avoidant person wants the other person's full commitment, like full emotional commitment, full physical commitment, full all other types of commitment, psychological, spiritual. But the avoidant person doesn't want to have to fully commit. The avoidant person, one of the things that's so important to know about avoidant entities Again, I noticed this in myself. I would describe myself as an avoidant person. An important thing to understand is that avoidant people have a really tough time with saying their truth. So I've noticed in myself, like I've had a truth, like I don't really want to be in this relationship, but I kind of want to act like I want to be in this relationship because I want you to be fully in this relationship. But as soon as it's like just the right amount or just enough, then I'm going to take my attention and energy elsewhere. And I'm not consciously like, I'm not devising this plan, but I also kind of know it's going to happen. I don't want it to happen and I don't know how to change it, but I, it like hurts, but I also kind of like it. It's like a, it's a tricky place to be in. So 
the avoidant person kind of likes that experience. They want you to be committed. They want to talk about how wounded they are. And they probably not consciously want to continue being avoidant. Now, another thing, so in what I've noticed in my experience is I wouldn't say that I have healed that pattern. I'm trying to, I'm using the opportunities in my life, right? I've over the last like year and a half, two years, really, I've been leaning into that and trying to do things differently. I will say that meeting, I'm putting air quotes, the right person transformed those tendencies for me. So yes, I wanted to, but it didn't require work for me to change those tendencies. It happened because I found the person that I think that I have always been looking for. Um, And that has, and what I've noticed in myself is that I really do not have avoidant tendencies in this relationship with Emily. Now, do I think that without that, I could have changed avoidant tendencies? Yes, but it really would have required me wanting to. Now, what's tricky, back to that thing about avoiding people like doing the I'm hurt, I'm so sorry, I'm wounded, like, they might say they want to change it. And that goes back to the thing we were talking about, like, you need the person's consent. Are you supporting them changing into becoming the person they want to be? Or are you trying to force change upon them because you need them to change? So the avoidant person may be communicating to you and like kind of like in one of those like dramatic two hour long conversations that they want to change, but then they don't really change their tendencies. That's that second part of the co-creation framework. Where So the first part is you hear their vision. Who do they want to be? What's their ideal version of doing this thing? Which is a very healing and beautiful thing to give an, a, a person with avoidant tendencies. Because again, avoidant people generally have accumulated experiences where they're terrified of telling their full truth. So they want things to be a certain way, but they, but they, won't, they won't tell the full truth of how they want things to be because they think their full truth will make a person not fully commit to them, which is probably true. You know, like if a per- if a guy wants to be sleeping with six women and he wants each of them to be fully committed to him, like fully committed to him emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, but he were to be honest with all of them about what he actually wants, well, then he's probably not going to get the full commitment. And before you hear that and want to demonize that person for doing the more you demonize that honestly the more likely you are to engage in avoidant relationships where you get hurt the thing to do is to become loving and curious about that to be the person who can create a space where that person who does that can speak about that and speak about not liking it because they're already operating with so much chaos and shame internally about like kind of liking it, but kind of not wanting to change it, but also not like it's a lot. If you're a person who can show up non-attached to them and them being a certain way and just create a space for them to be able to share their truth about who they are, what they notice about their tendencies and what they actually want, who they actually want to be. Well, that's a really beautiful thing. And then as you get clear on that, you can make a plan together and say, okay, you want to change these things, like here's what we do. 
And then it's time to evaluate if they're actually able to become the person that they say they want to become. If they are and they change the tendencies and they're showing up in a different way and they're contributing to more joy or whatever it is that you want as a result of them changing their tendencies, then amazing. If they don't change, then it's super important to be able to recognize that change is not happening. And back to one of the earlier questions, the way to recognize that is by paying attention to your internal experience. It's not the text that you want back. What you want is to be having a certain feeling in your body and you're associating getting a text. You think that it's about getting the text, but it's not. It's about accessing nourishment perceiving yourself to be in, in an environment where there's an abundance of the nutrients that you want. When that happens, your body expands, you feel joy, you feel love, you feel bliss. You want the bliss, but the text isn't coming. So you're feeling anxiety. The way to know if something is actually changing in a relationship is to be paying attention to your patterns of your internal experience. And just like we said before, with the previous question, you are the one who is primarily responsible for your internal experience. Like if you're sleeping two hours a night and eating 14 bowls of Captain Crunch, which like, it is one of my favorite cereals, even though it tears up your mouth, you are more likely to be super anxious. And if what you are saying that, to, if you're saying to this person, hey, I want groundedness and joy and love, you are responsible for creating as much groundedness and joy and love in your life as humanly possible. It's you already have what you want. You don't need them to do something in order for you to get more groundedness and joy and love. But it is the case that two people bringing joy and groundedness and love together creates an exponentially better experience. It gives you more of what you already have. But if you're making it this avoidant person's responsibility to change in order for you to access the inner nutrients that you want, but then you're really setting yourself up to perpetuate this dynamic and this pattern of avoidance, because that's one of the exact things that the avoidant person is trying to avoid is the sense that they are responsible for this other person's experience, because they're probably having an experience where they're like, yeah, you want it to be all about you, but like, what about me, that kind of thing. And then they want space. and all. So I hope you get what I'm saying there. These questions have been fantastic. I have loved sitting here. I'm looking out of my backyard. There are like seven hummingbirds that are out here and the sun is starting to set, the skies are blue and I've just had the best time answering these questions. I appreciate you all asking so much and investing your time and your energy into hearing what I, my, my perspective and what I have to share. That feels so good for me, that recognition and that appreciation. So. Thank you so much. I have so much love for you. I hope that you get a lot of value from this listening experience and I can't wait to do it again.